Welcome to Sports Beat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Wednesday, November 11th. Happy Veterans Day, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. The baseball season ended a couple of weeks ago, and so begins the period of speculation. Royals general manager Dayton Moore held court today, and while he didn't provide specifics on the team's course heading into 2021, he shared some of the organization's philosophy and values, which allows us to make some educated guesses on how things might shape up. You'll hear a portion of Moore's conversation with reporters after the break, but first up is beat writer Lynn Worthy. We talk about the Royals, the 2021 season, and beyond. So let's get going talking Royals with Lynn Worthy and then Dayton Moore. So Lynn, you and I are recording this less than an hour, in fact, um, less than 45 minutes after we were on a Zoom call with Royals general manager Dayton Moore, and that lasted for an hour, which, you know, to get that kind of access, that availability with the general manager is, I, I don't remember that happening in previous years for the Royals, but there's a reason why he was available today. Um, this He was supposed to be somewhere else, wasn't he? Or involved with some other activities. Yeah, this um, in the, the the season of COVID, this would have been the um, time that they would have their general managers meetings. Um, and I can't remember where they were scheduled to be this year, actually, off the top of my head. I want to say somewhere in Texas, but I could be wrong on that. Last year, they were in Arizona. I know that because um, I was there last year. But yeah, this would have been the general managers meetings. Um, and there's media availability scheduled at those where, you know, to any reporters are there, national media, local media, everybody, um, general managers are made, all the general managers are made available to reporters to speak to, you know, the season that was, the off season that's coming up, um, any sort of changes, you know, last year, obviously it was after, on the heels of, you know, Mike Matheny being named manager and with an ownership change going on, um, this year, less, big moves going on, but, you know, as we call it, the hot stove season, you know, it's starting to get to a, um, maybe a simmer. <laughs> yeah, a little bit starting to, at least it's, at least it's on the burner, whether it's, uh, whether the, you know, the knobs turned or not, at least it's, uh, it, it's on the burner. I did like his confidence that, you know, he said a couple of times, you know, when we report to spring training in February, um, I liked hearing that, whether I, think that's going to happen or not will depend on just the the course of of COVID-19 over the next what four months but uh, I, I just I, I like that he said it and, and what else are you going to say right I mean you're, you're you obviously have to plan for for spring training and um, and uh, of course Dayton said a couple of times in the that, uh, that that was going to happen. So I'm believing Dayton. I'm, I'm just going to trust Dayton that uh, he, he's going to make it happen. So um, so I thought that the, the, the conversation in which he took questions from reporters and expanded on a lot of the answers, spent a lot of time on the answers, was pretty, um, as you might expect, not, not, not too in-depth on detail because there's just not much he can share, doesn't know. Big on philosophy, but... But a couple of things that he did say, detail-wise, when it comes to the team, the makeup of the team, the roster, the lineup, he was he emphasized the starting pitching and how he thinks a, a you know a team like the Royals and especially and these Royals you know going into twenty twenty one and and beyond um, are going to have to be built around starting pitching and a strong bullpen. Of course, the bullpen improved 
by a lot in 2020. But um, that's a good place to start is what he thinks about the Royals starting pitching for, for next season. What did he say about that? Well, whether it's next season or just uh, going forward, he he said pretty uh, blatantly or pretty clearly that they're building a championship caliber rotation. So, and that's um, um, as he's saying that. I don't think he's just talking about the guys who your projected stars next year. I think he's looking at what they have projected for next year on top of the guys that you have as your top prospects. That's the you know Daniel Lynch, Jackson Kowar, Asa Lacy, the top draft pick from this past year. Um, and the other guys in the minors who uh, I plan actually to be touching on that in stories coming up this week. Um, there's another wave of guys that we don't talk a whole lot about, but um, whether that's Alec Marsh or John Heasley, um, uh, Jonathan Bolin, there's a there's a bunch of pitchers that they have who have done really well in the minors who are all amongst their top prospects who they have this wave is basically the way that it's been described of pitching that's coming through right around the same time on top of what we've already seen from Brady Singer, Chris Bubich, and some guys in the major leagues who have, you know, established themselves, Brad Keller, Jacob Junis, Danny Duffy. Um, so yeah, that's that they definitely feel like is a strength of theirs that they they're hoping to build on and build around. Right. Where, where does Carlos Hernandez fit into the picture? Uh, well, he, I, I think ultimately he's a bullpen guy, but that's, I mean, they're, they're not necessarily making that move just yet. Um, I mean, we saw him start, we saw, we saw him, he had some shorter outings and looked really good. Um, you know, Ronald Bolaños was another one of those guys who, you know, was probably more of a power arm bullpen guy he was, they picked him up in that trade with San Diego, um, in spring training or spring training 2.0. Um, another power guy who's got, you know, maybe some potential there as far as a starter, but, and has started, you know, previously, but maybe with the, the type of arms they have is a bullpen guy ultimately. Um, but they have options with a lot of these guys in terms of um, the flexibility to be starters, bullpen guys to really load up and have a power bullpen with guys throwing, you know, just nasty stuff and from coming at you for different ways. Okay, let's uh, let's switch to the lineup. Um, uh, not not a lot of revelations. He didn't he didn't like he didn't tell us who the center fielder was going to be for next season. I think that's uh, uh, or even the, what the outfield makeup is going to be. There there are certainly some some questions um, now that Alex Gordon has moved on. You know, it's, it seems like every position has a has a question. Uh, but uh, but what he did say, and I thought this was interesting, was that. You know, he, he, he looks at, um, you know, the one, three, and four hitters as, you know, needing the, you know, they, they've got to meet some production uh, goals. And two of those three have to come from the positions of catcher, shortstop, and center field. And so when he was telling us that, my first thought was, well, you got catcher and, and, and shortstop all locked up. I mean, that's uh, um, no, no, uh, no secret there, but I don't know who the center fielder is going to be next season. What's, What's your sense of how that might play out? Who's, who's going to get the first look? And, uh, and then how will the rest of the outfield look? Well, and that was, that was sort of the thing in my mind, too, was, you know, the, the shortstop catcher we know in center field, um, 
for this year is still up in the air. And also, I'm not sure if he's also in his mind projecting, you know, they have some ca- some internal candidates that probably won't be ready at the start of next year, but going forward, whether that's a, you know, and he mentioned some of the top outfield prospects like a Cleo Lee, Kyle Isbell. Um, I'm not sure if one of those guys is a guy that he's in his mind might be growing into one of those spots down the line, but next year um, it's an open question as far as I'm concerned. Cause I think um, everything we've heard is that Whit Merrifield, they like him more in right field. I don't think it, that's set in stone, but they feel like that's that he's better at right field than um, the other spots, and that he can that he excels defensively there as opposed to in center, um, covering that ground in Kaufman. Um, you know, I mean, obviously Bubba is still sort of in the mix, but I, I think as far as a, a hitter, he doesn't fit that that sort of profile that Dayton mentioned as far as one of those top of the lineup guys. Defensively, he's elite. And, and they've said that, um, you know, multiple people have said that in the Royals. They're not shy about telling you that. But hitting-wise, he's not really in that um, in that type of a mix. Um, so next year, um, depending on what they do free agency-wise, if they pick up another outfielder, um, then it becomes interesting. Is that outfielder a center field guy? Is that outfielder a corner guy? And are you moving somebody like a Franchi Cordero, who um, they think has – big potential and they want to give a chance to play regularly. Um, Cordero, who they acquired in that trade with San Diego, who's a big time power potential guy. He's, he's a really good athlete who's um, has played center field a little bit, probably more of a corner guy. Um, but if they, if they want to get him time and they get somebody who they feel like has to play in left, maybe he plays some center field. Um, and then also Edward Oliveros, who we saw, who showed some flashes that they were also acquired in a trade last year, is another guy who um, defensively he's got some work. He probably needs, you know, they need to get him on the mind meld with uh, Rusty Koontz. But, um, <laughs> you know, he's another guy who maybe factors in out there. So what they do offseason wise, as far as picking up guys, um, potentially an outfielder. And then the other option, I mean, I don't, I don't know that if they've decided on this yet would be if they wanted to go into the first base market, they could move Hunter Dozier back to the outfield instead of having him at first base, which he settled into late in the season. And then that's a whole nother set of, you know, um, machinations you have, whether that means you do put Witten in center or you put one of the other guys in center and just leave Witten in right. And maybe Hunter goes to left. So there's, there's options or different um, ways they could go. Um, I, I would think they'd probably look to add somebody in the outfield, but, uh, we don't know how that market's going to play out either. Right. And speaking of the market, um, we heard Dayton say this, and I, I think we've all known it to be true. Well, we, we have known it to be true by following the team over the years and certainly during his tenure. But he but he said it that, you know, uh, in a somewhat quoting him here or at least paraphrasing that the Royals are one of the least transactional teams in baseball. And you know, in terms of going out and signing free agents and trades. And then you explain, you know, when you're a small market team, it's it's kind of important for a fan base to, you know, to get to know the players and to grow with the players a little bit. And I just, it's something we've known and it's, like I said, proven out over time, but just to hear him say it, I, th- I thought was interesting. And I just wonder how, how, how that might enter into the philosophy when it comes to you know moves that could complete the the 2021 Royals, yeah, and that that um, that sort of that philosophy, or at least that um, 
that that way that he and the organization has sort of been for the past years is um, really has more to do with that. I think at least the the focus on scouting that they've had, where you know they put a lot of stock in the scouts and they want to give players the chance to sort of um, deliver on the promise that their their scouting people have seen in them. Um, and they feel like the more time, the more chances you give them, the more uh, you know likely it's going to be that those guys you know turn into what you, you thought they could be or you know what you projected them to be. Um, and along with that, you know he think he, he as he said, he thought Kansas City specifically latches on the guys and likes to follow guys through their ups and downs as they become what they're ultimately going to become. Now, he also, the interesting part of the, about that was he said that he has to be more open-minded to being more transactional, which, you know, in some ways indicates a, a shift that's going on or that's coming up in terms of being able or being willing to say, okay, this guy who people have maybe started to identify with, if he's the one that's going to have to be shipped out to make this move that, you know, puts them over the top or puts them in the running for you know, whether it's a playoff spot or a championship or something like that, that he's got to be more willing to do that. Um, so I thought that was interesting that he, you know, while admitting that, yeah, this is the way they've been, that maybe there's a change that uh, needs to take place or is starting to take place. Yeah, and I think that uh, that, that response was uh, – it, it was in response to a question about the, the Tampa Bay Rays winning the yeah. American League this year with a, with a team that was – largely transactional. Um, so, okay, well, we're going to hear from Dayton Moore after we take a break. Um, so we will bid farewell to Lynn Worthy. Thanks for stopping by, Lynn, and we'll be looking for your coverage of the Royals in the Kansas City Star and on KansasCity.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Where would you say the timeline is towards contention, Dayton? You, you, you talked about, you know, not blocking guys. Uh, needing to get time for the young players, that that would make it seem, you know, it could be perceived, right? Somebody could take that and say, well, Dayton's saying it's going to be another year. We're, we're still in the development mode. How, how would you react if, if that was what someone took from your earlier comment? Yeah, that's, that, I appreciate you asking that. And, and we, we expect to win next year. I mean, what, what, what does that look like? Is it going to be enough wins to make the playoffs? We'll find out. 
Um, but our mindset, Saran, is going to be out is going to go out and try to win every single pitch, every inning, win every game. And that's the only way that we're ever going to win another championship. You've got to expect a win at all aspects. There's, and trust me, Mike Matheny and the coaching staff, um, they understand that completely. Um, you know, my, my point with the young players is, is just making sure that they get ample time uh, to develop and that we are patient with them. Uh, because if to, to win another championship, we are going to need, you know, the Brady Singers and the Chris Bubicks and, and guys like Nicky Lopez and now Alberto Mondesi. Uh, we're going to need them to turn into stars. And the only way they're going to do that is we have to give them a chance and stay patient with them. Um, and so we're going to we're prepared to continue to do that. Hunter Dozier, we believe. Uh, is capable of of taking a step forward, and that's going to have to happen. He's going to have to get opportunity to do that. I mean, Whit Merrifield is one of the more consistent guys on the the planet. We need to build around that as well. Salvador Perez, in my mind, just keeps getting younger and younger. I mean, just his his attitude, his mindset keeps, keeps it fresh. He's an extremely hard worker. He loves to work hard. Um, as far as timelines are in, we're just going to focus on getting better each and every minute of every single day, every month, get better every year, get better. And then maybe someday we'll wake up and we'll be really, really good. And so that's got to be the focus on, on how we do this. Um, the, the difficulty with answering uh, that question, as you well know, you've, you've studied sports as long as I have is just the unpredictability of health, the unpredictability of what the other teams are going to go through, how they're going to respond through different things, um, how players, how your opponents are going to perform. Obviously, we got to focus on just what we do. So we are in the process of building a championship rotation and a championship caliber pitching staff. That's undeniable. We got to keep it healthy. We got to keep learning. We got to we got to keep them growing. Um, we got to keep adding to it. You can't have enough pitching. We have to make sure that we are as strong as anybody in baseball uh, at catcher, shortstop, and center field. We have to continue to work hard so we have a legit leadoff three and four hole hitter. And in our minds, uh, that leadoff hitter, that three and four hole hitter, those impact bats, two of the three need to come from shortstop, catcher and center field if we're going to win a championship in this market and so that's what we've always focused on we focused on those players out of the draft we focused them on 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 high ceiling trades um and so we've we've tried to be as strong as we can up the middle and uh but i like where we are right now as far as as the evolution of a championship caliber team more so than any place that we've been here. Is that, am I saying that we're going to win a championship in a certain year? No, I'm not saying that because a lot has to happen. But we're going to, we're going to start to get much better sooner than anybody expects. And we'll just continue to build and, and grow and, and, and manage the roster in a way that allows us to match up with the other teams in our division. Is you, you talked about high upside trade and you talked earlier about the trade market. Is the trade market because of the, the analytic age? You know, if, if everybody's doing the same analytics, everybody sees the same thing. It would seem like it would be hard to match up trade wise if everybody says 
you know, on a 10 point scale, this guy's a 7.7, this guy's, you know, how does he, the art of the trade, seemingly some of that maybe has been lost from the game. Does that make it harder or does that open up opportunities for if you can still see the scout part, the art part of what the other side is that, the, you know, you mentioned a high ceiling trade. Harder, easier to make those kind of deals. Much harder. Much harder. And I think for a lot of the reasons you that you stated, Seren, um, look, the, the reason a lot of trades don't happen is we, we tend to focus more on what we're giving up, what we're losing instead of what we're adding and how this particular player, pitcher, group of players blend in with our current team and what this player or pitcher does to put us over the top or allows us to match up with uh, our division or who we might be uh, competing against in the playoffs. And so um, you've got to continue to, to, to keep that mindset. What you're getting in return, um, if the industry perceives that we're overpaying for a player or two or a pitcher or two, um, I'm okay with that. If indeed it's the pitcher or player that we absolutely feel like we need uh, to help us ultimately get where we need to get, uh, to match up, to win in the playoffs, uh, to win a World Series. Um, and so that's, that's kind of our mindset. But I think your point is, is right on. Um, you know, I, I think that um, you need to make sure that um, – you know, there, there's there's a lot of people probably, you know, thinking alike. Uh, you know, Bill Fisher, who you you all know, Bill Fisher used to say, "If everybody's thinking alike, nobody's thinking." And so, we we encourage diverse diversity of thought constantly. Um, you know, in this organization, and and you know, hopefully the industry as well. Uh, another one, just to kind of dig a little bit deeper on something you said, you talked about, I think when Flanny asked you about a budget, uh, three, you know, he's talked about like a three-year window uh, or a three-year plan budget, kind of that's what you were talking about. Um, you, you, you can hear that, listen, you, you spend reportedly over a billion dollars as an ownership group and then baseball has a, a terrible, you know, hat, like everyone else has to deal with the pandemic and takes finance back. Is that to say it's a three-year recovery process from that and you know, if, if, you know, I know you're not normally a club that's super active in free agency, but you you made a splash, Gil Mesh being one of the big ones to try to jumpstart things. Does that mean that maybe we're looking at a three-year window where Royals fans need to have reasonable expectations about what ownership can actually put out there and just flat out writing checks? You know, I think that, Serena, I, first of all, I think that, that John Sherman, our ownership group, I've never heard John say one time, talk about, how much money we're losing. Um, I've never heard him complain one bit of what we can't do. Um, you know, he's, he's very focused on doing everything we can to improve our team in a, in a very um, prudent and smart and thoughtful way. And so that, that's how we I don't anticipate us having uh, regression with regard to what we can't do, especially when we feel like our team is performing at a level where we can win. Okay, and so you're not, you're never going to probably win the pennant in July, or excuse me, you're not going to win the pennant at the winter meetings 
in January, adding to free agencies, you're constantly going to be making moves along the way, as you certainly well know, to improve your team um, to get over the hump. And so that's what I believe we'll, we'll continue to do. We're going we're gonna to make moves this offseason, and we're going to be better. We're going to be a better baseball team uh, once we enter spring training. When we report to Surprise Arizona in February, we're going to have a, a more talented roster then than we do now. When we leave spring training, I anticipate us to have an improved roster. And then as we get through the first quarter of the season, we'll evaluate what we need, and then we will continue to improve this roster. I do not foresee economics being a major deterrent if it is an opportunity to, to really improve our baseball team significantly. Now, there's a lot of evaluations that go into that, as you well know. There is an analytical evaluation. There's a medical evaluation. Um, there is uh, a scouting, a traditional baseball man's evaluation. Um, there is a, a character evaluation that goes into that, and there's a financial evaluation. All those evaluations are part of our decision process. And um, But right now, I, I don't look at us. Um, I don't go to bed and wake up thinking, boy, we can't do this because of economics. But I look at the landscape of talent available to us, and we're trying to be as aggressive as we can, but we also want to make sure that sort of look, and I was raised in this game, I don't want to ever overpay for players. Sometimes you got to extend out there a year, a year and a half, like we did with Infante. We gave Infante an extra year to get him. Uh, we gave Gil Mesh an extra year to get him. I understand sometimes you've got to do that. Um, and I suspect if we have to do that again at some point in time, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be able to do that. But uh, it all goes back to the evaluation of the player and what the player adds to your team. How, do you want to really overpay significantly if it's just going to be one to two or three wins over 162? I mean, we, we all want to get the best bang we can for our buck. We all want to make good financial decisions. That's part of operating as a winner is making good financial decisions. And you know, we want to win at, at everything that we do. Thank you. Hey, Dayton, I got a two-part question for you. Um, one, with uh, Tampa Bay getting to the World Series, how much of an impact the way they go about their business do they have on the industry? Well, I think they do a great job. Number one, they got a, a terrific manager in Kevin Cash. Um, I've admired him for a long time. I think they they hired a, a, a young guy who is the hardest worker, prepares better than every than, than anybody can expect to prepare, um, great relationships with players. He gets the most out of his players. That's why he's manager of the year. Um, I believe we have that exact same person in Mike Matheny. A lot of those character traits as well. Um, they do an excellent job of developing and maintaining pitching. Uh, they're very transactional. They're more transactional than we are. Um, that's just, you know, if I've been criticized for that many times, um, that we stay with players a little too long. Uh, sometimes it works out great. Sometimes it doesn't. We're one of the least transactional organizations in baseball. 
Um, some people would say the model for a small market team is you need to be more transactional. I believe that um, our fan base is different than some of the other small markets. I, I believe they they love following a player's career. They enjoy the ups and downs and, and, and going through uh, life with that player, their struggles. Uh, therefore, when they do finally have their successes, they celebrate it a little more in depth. Uh, it's a little more meaningful to them. Um, I don't speak for everybody. I, I get it. Um, but I think as we go forward, Greg, I have to be more open-minded to being more transactional. I mean, I have to self-evaluate. Um, you know, that's that's. Uh, it's easy for me to self-evaluate. Trust me, but. Um, I, I believe one of our strengths is staying with players and believing in players um, and encouraging them um, and don't stop believing in them. And just when they're ready to quit, we come alongside of them and we, we breathe more life into them. Um, but, and we, but if you have young players in your system that are pushing and they're ready, um, you know, it, it's a little easier to move on from somebody at the major league level. And so, you know, that's, it's kind of a, a product of having a, a very good farm system. Look, and there's, there's, um, as Seren said, there's teams that are, they hold on to players more. They, they stay with their prospects. Um, baseball's experiencing a level of contraction right now. Um, I think the major league player today is extremely talented, um, but the supply and demand is a little different today than it was 10 years ago as well. So I think in the end, to win a world championship, you get a group of players together, you raise them to win together, um, you develop help, you allow them to develop trust in one another. Um, trust with the coaching staff, trust with the front office, a love affair with the fans. You create that perfect environment if there is such a thing, and that's how you ultimately win a world championship. Like, we never win here unless it's a complete buy-in from everybody and an expectation from the fans, the environment the fans create. Um, and so the fans are going to be, they're going to buy in, they're going to they're going to support these players unconditionally if they've kind of lived through their ups and downs as well. And so that's just what we believe in this market with our fans. Um, you know, we, we pull for each other. We believe in each other. Um, but yeah, of course. I mean, we admire what Tampa's done. I admire what the Dodgers have done. Look, it's not easy. If you're the Los Angeles Dodgers and you're expected to win every single game, when you lose, it's a failure. And when you don't win the World Series, I mean, I, I lived through that in, at, at some level. And it's, uh, it's, it's hard to – and I wouldn't be surprised if the Dodgers got on an even greater run now. They're, they're kinda, they've got the pressure lifted and um, great environment, uh, terrific manager, very talented, dedicated leadership team and management, um, great history of the franchise. You know, it's – it's, it's hard to win a world championship, and it's really, really hard in baseball when you need 
you can eliminate star players on the major league field. You can take them right out of the game. The, the best pitcher is only throwing, unless it's Bumgardner, they're only throwing once every four days. That impact bat, I mean, Barry Bonds, perhaps one of the best players ever to play this game, never won a world championship. And that that wouldn't happen. Tell me what other sport that's happened in. The best, the all-time greatest baseball or football player, usually they win, if it's at the right position, they win a championship. Basketball, they're going to win a championship. It doesn't happen in baseball because you can eliminate that person. You can take them right out of the game. And... Um, that's why it's so it's so difficult to win a world championship. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our production staff of Derek Donovan, Randy Mason, Beth Welsh, Jeff Rosen, Chris Fickett, and Savannah Smith. A tip of the cap to Lynn Worthy for stopping by and talking Royals. Links to his stories can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Hey, we've got another deal for you, especially for those who want to deep dive into the Stars' terrific Chiefs coverage. For a limited time, you can subscribe to Sports Pass for 99 cents a month. That's right, 99 pennies a month. After three months, it auto-renews at $5.99 a month unless you cancel. How do you get it? You go to kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. That's kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. Do you want more than sports coverage? I know I do. Check out the entire Kansas City Star product. Sports news features, commentary, and analysis, the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus additional news, sports, and business coverage with the E-Edition. The details for all of these deals can be found at account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. I know that's a lot of dots and dashes. Sounds like Morse code. If you're having trouble hunting down any of these offers, send me an email at bkirkoff at kcstar.com and I'll get you to the right place. Whether it's a sports pass or the full subscription, you're getting and supporting the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sports Beat KC. Thanks for listening and we'll be back on Thursday with another episode.